Welcome to Build Better Brands. I'm Danielle Clark, and this show is here to provide insights, techniques, and strategies to help you establish a better brand with confidence and clarity. We're on a mission to help as many people as possible start and build stronger brands so they can create happier, healthier lives for themselves and those around them. Welcome to another episode of Build Better Brands. Today I am joined by Emma Glover, who is founder of Victorious Digital. Victorious is a social and paid media agency um, and Emma's worked in digital marketing for quite a while. Um, she understands about how to build a strong presence on digital, on social media. Um, so I thought, yeah, let's get Emma on and we can talk about all the amazing stuff that she does. So welcome to the show, Emma. Thank you for having me. So Ralph is obviously part of the team. He features on your website, which I love, alongside his other friend what's the other dog called dexter so dexter De- yeah dexter is uh, our head of paid media sophie's dog right. um wanted them to be best friends they're not <laughs> at all like that was the goal because sophie and i are best friends we're like our dogs will be best friends it'll be lovely mine's just a little bit of a menace so it's not gone exactly the way we thought it was gonna go but okay we've got a Unfortunate. couple of so <laughs> it looked like they're friends <laughs> So we've got Ralph, we've got Dexter. Obviously, there's other members of the team. You just mentioned Sophie. So who else makes up Victress? Yeah, so we've got Sophie, who sits at Head of Paid Media. We've got Kat, who lives in Scotland and we've never met. Um, so good for remote wow. working. Um, she looks after social media. We've got Lee, who is our SEO partner. And then we've got a design partner agency and the main designer that we've got is called Stephen and he sits with us as well. And then we work with quite a lot of freelancers on an ad hoc and project basis. So not necessarily with us all the time, but they sit very closely with us on our runs. Awesome. So that's not including the pups. That's four people. I'd say, yeah, four, five. Yeah. Okay. So, for five, including yourself, of course. Um, so, was was the plan always to have a team? Was that always part of your vision and your goal? Yeah, I think all I wanted to do was do an ethical business. Um, I've been in agency for a long time, and I always wanted to try and be. I always said that I wanted to try and be the boss that I never had. So it's kind of my goal to have a a team. Um, not necessarily a big team. I like to refer to us as a micro agency. So we kind of bridge the gap between a freelancer and like an, a 60, 80 man agency. Um, so quite personal in that regard. But I like managing people and I like to be around people. So I do think that it was a it was a goal of mine, but it wasn't ne- necessarily a have to have. It was if it was a natural fit for the business and the way that it was going. Okay. So how did the, talk to me about the transition from freelancer, you know, if if that's what, if I'm okay to say that, you know, can, were you, did you call yourself a freelancer at the start? How did you, how did you make that transition to becoming an employer? What What was that journey like? I always, from the minute that I started freelancing, I never referred to the business as me. 
So it's always been Victress throughout. So that made an easier transition between me as an entity on my own and then growing the team. So I think that that was a good starting block. So I think always in the back of my mind, I knew that I wanted to grow it at some point and that would be an easier transition. I think that just the need for growing a team just came from the demand of the clients. So we were getting asked for things that I couldn't deliver on my own and I've got quite specialist skills and I knew that clients wanted my skills, but also wanted other people's skills as well. And rather than saying, you can use me as a freelancer, but please go to this other agency or this other business, I tried to create an agency around what the clients were asking for. So um, growing the paid media team allowed me to do that. And I think that's kind of how it started. So based on client demand versus anything else. Okay, you mentioned, uh, you've made a really good point there in that you didn't refer to Victress as, as I, and it's something that I see quite often that businesses will start off, freelancers will start off talking about I and, and they're kind of the face of the brand. And um, in the past, I've been guilty of that. But even when it is just you, it's it's never really just you. There's always other people that are involved. So it kind of, it, it always is we, even when you think it's just yourself. And I think the fact that you've always referred to Victorious as we, I think has been really smart. And as you said, it's allowed you to be able to to make that transition from yourself to having a team much, much easier. And I think sometimes when brands are ready to to grow and they've got a team and it's always been them, I think it can be quite difficult then for them to go, okay, do I do I need a rebrand? Do I need to do I need to change the name? Because everyone knows this organization as as me but it's not just me anymore so I think that's a really good point that if you do that from the start you're kind of future-proofing your brand and your business yeah absolutely and I also think it's future-proofing me as well so I think you take a lot on when you're a freelancer on your own and there's an expectation that you're always going to be available and around and I always had it in the back of my mind as I wanted to work very hard but I wanted to allow the time and freedom that comes with working for yourself and I think if I didn't put other people in place if clients didn't meet other people then they would always rely on me being the only person that they could talk to which suddenly puts you in a position of never being able to have a holiday or a break or anything else and I think that's that's also problematic when you are the only person that people rely on. Yeah totally I um I had a conversation with someone. It's really bad that I can't remember who it is, but I had lots of conversations. Um, and they were saying that they, this was someone that's self-employed and they hadn't had a holiday for about three years. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, you haven't had a break. Not even so much, because when you think holiday, you think, okay, yeah, I'm going to swan off to... I don't know, I'm going to go abroad and there's going to be a beach, you know, that's that's my interpretation of holiday. But I was like, forget about the holiday bit. Like, when when have you just had a break where you weren't actually working? And yeah, it, it had been three years, which is just not good, is it, at all? I, I get it, though, and I think I am the same 
to say that that is the goal of like having that complete break I haven't had more than a long weekend off since I became my own boss so I haven't had a, a week or I think the most I've had off is like four days but over the weekend so like either side right um but that's largely to do with my own self and how I work and operate as well I think there's a lot going on at the moment particularly with like the Gen Zers of the world of you need to have this work-life balance which I completely appreciate and if I'm honest I don't want my team to have to think about work when they're not at work that's not the goal but it's what I signed up for and it's kind of what I chose so if I need to work on a weekend or if I need to not have a long week off that's fine but I've kind of signed up for that life for a, a little bit but in my way I'm trying to future-proof my future self yeah a point where I can kind of take a step back but I know that in the initial first five years of a business it's not the time yeah but four days at least you've had a break it's better than nothing like absolutely nothing <laughs> so I think you're still getting that balance yeah yeah it's taking time um it's hard to step back on something um because I've been so close to it for a while so I think that transition out of freelance and I am still so in my role I'm still the person that's the key contact communications so I don't like to necessarily be away from a while because clients do feel then that they don't necessarily have the full support that they need. Um, but that's a transitional phase as well. So trying to introduce clients to the team more, trying to understand that I'm not necessarily always available. Um, but yeah, I'm my own worst enemy. I'm like a second <laughs> emails at nine o'clock kind of girl. So I know. Oh, it's okay. Hmm. <laughs> so... You've talked about your team and, you know, we've kind of loosely talked about what you do. But let's talk about that in a bit more detail. So how do you help people and businesses? What does working with Victress and the rest of the team look like? So we predominantly focus on social media and paid media. But obviously with the freelancers that we have, we can service other types of marketing we focus predominantly on SaaS brands, so software as a service brands and business to business brands. So we don't do a lot with e-commerce. Uh, largely, it's a decision of mine. After working with e-commerce brands for a long time, I realized that the needs of those need to be met by people that handle that specialism and that have probably a highly creative team. Um, we're definitely more like numbers people and really good at data and really good at getting into strategy. So predominantly we look at lead generation so if you're a business that needs to get more leads down into your sales pipeline or you've got a sales team that needs to have more leads to handle then we look at creating those leads from a combination of either organic or paid media um tends to be a lot predominantly linkedin focused um and ppc so google search or microsoft search and then we do handle a little bit of Facebook, Instagram for a couple of other brands, but very service-led businesses as opposed to food and drink brands or e-commerce brands. Okay. So, yeah, I was talking to um, someone else recently about SaaS and I understand what SaaS is now because I'm not very, I'm not particularly technical, I don't like numbers and I'm not really one for data. <laughs> 
I really am a creative. Um, but yeah, and I realised that there's loads of things that um, I use lots of SaaS, you know, like, for example, you know, Netflix is one, uh, Zoom is one. It's literally just software that you pay a subscription for and it's a service, isn't it? Um, so I was overcomplicating things, but I've realised that SaaS is like, it's exploding. There's SaaS brands and, you know, services popping up all over the place. Why Why do you think that is? Um, I think it's just accessibility of it. So obviously, previously, people wanted to go into shops. They want very tactile. They want things they can hold and be and do. Whereas now, obviously, in a digital marketing space, we've been predominantly in marketing for a long time and we've been online and remote working is nothing new to us. But I think the world became so obsessive with how do we make everything digital now because we've had everything taken away and we need to make everything so accessible. So the rise of things like video call, video call was nothing new to us pre-COVID, but it was very new to a lot of people. And I think with software as a service, if you are a very good developer or software architect and you see a need in the market or a gap in the market and you can develop and you can write code, you're in a very good position to be in because there's always a need. And with anything, like there are other video chat services as an example of Zoom, but if you can find something that Zoom lacks and tweak it and make it better, there's always like line and opportunity for competition. So uh, a lot of the brands that we were with as an example, then they're not doing something that no one else is doing. They're doing something that 10, 12 other people are doing but they're marketing slightly different. They've got slightly different brands and they found a gap that they can get, get in with. So I think it's just basically because it's so easy for people to, to take hold of and be quite popular. And it's a need, there's a need in the market. There's a gap that people will take it. I was trying to think then of, um, you know, you talked about Zoom. I was like, what is it that Zoom needs? <laughs> What's the... Can I come up with a better version of Zoom and then? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> yes. I think you only have to look at like the user experience of Zoom is quite glitchy. So if you look at, um, because I use it every day, I'm always looking for like how to fix things. That's kind of how my brain works. So if you look at um, the share function, if you want someone to share the screen, if you're hosting now, it I think the share options is something like multiple people can share simultaneously and it's very long and convoluted so things like that like small bits of copy that could be tweaked to being a lot more easy to read or easy to understand I think zoom lacks personality that would be my only thing Mm. but it's accessible and easy to use and from a business perspective cost for subscriptions low so it ticks all the boxes of the business and obviously I think from the way that they've handled it with celebrities and like the queen used it as an example <laughs> so people are like oh it's super easy to use because yeah. the nation's grandma can use it so that's yeah. the way that they went for it versus like actually it's for marketers it's kind of for everybody so mm, that's yeah very interesting you make a good point um so you said that you haven't taken you've taken a break since you became (laughs) since you became self-employed which is good um 
when did she come become self-employed? When did all of this happen? And what was the what was the catalyst that made you go, you know what, I'm gonna do this on my own now? So it was November 2018, so coming up for four years. Um, I was working for an agency who I think hired the role prematurely. They don't necessarily know what to do with the role that they hired me into. Um, and then I kind of got made redundant in a way, but not in an official way. Of like, we can't afford to keep you anymore. Okay, <laughs> I'll be going then. So I I left there and I got offered a head of social role at another agency. And then I got offered a contract project for three days a week. And it was take the comfortable safety security of a job that I know that I couldn't do well and I'll be back into the agency. Or do I take this risk of a project that isn't necessarily going to renew, but it could start off and kickstart my self-employment journey. Um, at the time, my grandmother was very ill and I just thought, this could be the time now because I'm going to have two days a week where I'm going to have the freedom to see her and see family and have that kind of flexibility back. So I took the project and said, turn down the job. And it kind of went from there. So luckily that project kept getting renewed. And then I picked up a couple of more clients from there. But it was something I've always thought about doing, but I needed the push to do it. And then being kind of faced with this choice of, do I want comfortable or do I want to take the plunge right now? And it gave me the, that kick that I probably needed. Wow. Um what was because I, th I think often I don't know about you but sometimes family don't always quite get when you're self-employed <laughs> yeah um how what was the reaction from family when you when you said that you were going to do that um they were worried at the start I think um I not long bought a house and had a mortgage to pay and was like well what are you going to do and I think generationally they never really did that like we kind of normalized job hopping and finding the right job that's right for you but um parents grandparents they went and did jobs and stayed in them for 20-30 years they didn't yeah. quite understand how we'd want to keep trying to find the best thing for us I think there was a bit of hesitation there um I'm looking up because there's a card on my wall that my mum got me when I did it and it was some it says something like um being kind and brave is all you need to kind of get you through sort of thing and I think she always knew that I'd do well because I've always kind of thrived in pressure in a way um but it was I'm a bit worried about you I don't know what you'll what's going to happen and I don't think that worry's gone it's still <laughs> it's still there but it's just the fact that I've been able to to continue it and grow it that's given them a bit more I don't less concern that I'm gonna all of a sudden turn up on the doorstep and say I need to move back in because I've got the house <laughs> so there's that but yeah um apprehension um but my mum's kind of always just backed what I do anyway and crazy decisions she might not agree with them she'll back it but that's good it's good to have um even when people aren't sure, if you're sure and they're back you, it just makes everything a little bit easier, doesn't it? Yeah, I think the only thing that I, that I don't think anyone still gets what I do. <laughs> That's probably the only thing. Um, but they've stopped saying I work at Facebook, which is which is a narrative that I had for a while. 
I actually don't like I don't want anyone to be thinking that I'm kind of trying to spread that room around but um they're getting a bit better with with kind of knowing what I do now what do they say now then um if your mom was here what what do you think she'd say that you did um she'd probably say something like I help businesses to advertise online which is not too far yeah um but yeah like I say for a while it was they were, she works at Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook's definitely going to find out about this. I'm like, you do not work here. Um, but I, in all fairness, I did partner with them for a while on a program for like 18 months. So it wasn't that, like, right. not. But yeah, the narrative that I actually worked at Facebook <laughs> is one that's kind of stuck around for me or um, content writer, which I'm definitely not. But that kind of sticks around with. Okay, that's interesting. Well, yeah. So when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Because I'm guessing it wasn't a digital marketer. Absolutely not. I wanted to actually be an author, like after J.K. Rowling vibes. Like I just had this feeling that I wanted to write. I used to write short stories as a kid, which probably looking back would be incredibly cringy and terrible. I want to read them. (laughs) I think when you were at school as well, um, they made you write really overly descriptive language. Like nothing was read. It was like the the deepest rouge all the time, like that kind of yeah. dramatic language that I think I probably put into everything. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to be a writer. And then obviously that's a tough break to try and get to get someone to want you your writing. So I went and studied journalism at university. It's like where's a kind of career that's similar that I can kind of get paid to write and now coincidentally I don't really write anything longer than ad copy so like <laughs> I've definitely moved away from that but at the time yeah I just I knew I wanted to some, do something that was related to writing obviously went through the stage that every kid go through like policeman vet doctor like you kind of have a stage of all these different things but predominantly something to do with writing yeah I am um... I wanted to be, I wanted to be an artist when I was little, so it's not a million miles away. Yeah, um, I did consider teaching English language and literature because I also loved writing, um, yeah. and loved reading, and still do when I get the time. Well, when I make time, um, but yeah, never wanted to be a vet or a doctor or anything like that. I just wanted to do, I wanted to make things. So I think it's kind of, I think I'm almost doing it really. I hadn't really thought about that until now. There you go. Hmm. So obviously your company is called Victress. Mm-hmm. Why Victress? Why that name? Where did the inspiration come from? So the meaning behind it is Victorious Woman. Um. So I would say that, Nowadays, it isn't quite like this, but when I started into marketing industry, it was very heavily male dominated. It's very like male directorships, male. And if I'm honest, I think 90% of our clients are male as well. So it was a heavily male industry. And I hadn't really been surrounded by particularly strong females um it's something that I'm quite passionate about in our industry in particular so I wanted to set the standard of this is a female-owned company that is gonna 
give heavy weight to females at director level. So I always had this vision of female founder, female-led agency. That's how I kind of wanted it to, to grow. And I think we are getting there. And I definitely think that the females in my team are incredibly strong females. And that's kind of how I wanted it to be. Um, but that was the vision that I had for the business was was very female-led. Um, it's not to say that I would obviously discredit any other genders whatsoever, but I think in the industry, it wasn't something that I'd seen before and isn't something that I've seen now. So we're trying to fly the flag for that. I love that. And it was one of the reasons that I... I was drawn to to what you do and and it's it's almost identical within branding and creative you know it's very male dominated so when you find another female that is strong um and cares about empowering other women something that I think is super important because I think often there's this narrative about women trying to um compete with each other and bring each other down um which um is really boring because most of the teams I've worked in that were mainly women like when I worked at Next um you know even my sports team you know it's an all all female hockey team you know we do the complete opposite um and I think because of our emotional intelligence I think I think we're able to to bring each other up lift each other up really well I think I think when we do it well it, it has a, a massive impact um yeah. so I think it's awesome that you're doing that um and I love the name as you know so obviously we're going to talk about the brand and you recently had a rebrand um Ooh. how and be honest <laughs> um yeah how how has that gone and what's the what was the impact to the business after you did that it went really well so obviously I contacted you based on recommendations and we chatted and I talked about what I wanted for it and I'll be honest when like I told you earlier about the story of how it started I needed a logo and I needed a name and I needed to do it fast. Like yeah. There wasn't a lot of brand development at the start. Um, I really understand the value of brand and how it can obviously be perceived. And when we started to grow, I realised that it's okay for me to call us we and refer to us as we and a team. But if our outward image is not projecting what we are, then there's a problem. So I think there just was a bit of a disconnect. And what I didn't want to do was launch our website with the current logo theme branding um, because it wasn't necessarily designed by someone who knew what we are and, and who we became really. Um, so the process is obviously was really good for us. Like we developed a logo and obviously brand colors and like iterated from where we were at the start, which was quite um, harsh, I'd say. And like we made it, obviously you made it. Um, very feminine and curvy which is what we wanted but gave um stepped away from I think the stereotypical female colors that we didn't want to do no 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 overly bright pink no I didn't want I think as well like a lot of agencies 
go for shock in their colors. So they're very like bold greens, bold oranges, black, pink, and it was it's quite in your face. And I remember when we went through the process, there's a lot of information I gave you about what we didn't want. Yeah. We don't want this kind of arrogance. And I think we are quite calm in our approach and how we are. And I just wanted the brand to show that. Um, but the the process and the feedback and stuff has been really positive. I think it's just given us more of an identity and people now understand who we are. I've had a lot of feedback on like um, the website and the colours and the logos. And we've got like loads of merch with it on, which... I know the team are like super happy to be in. Um, actually got a recent beanie. Ah, nice. And I'm also wearing a fleece with it on as well. So there you go. Well, I wear my hoodie a lot. <laughs> I say, I think because I wanted something that you'd be proud to wear that could be seen in the street and people kind of ask you about it and want to understand it without forcing people to have to wear branded things. So it's always been a choice of, you know, sometimes you get up and you don't actually want to think about what you want to wear. Well, we've got really smart hoodies and fleeces and things that we can put on and then we don't have to think about it. Yeah. Or if you're working for remote, like working from home remotely and you want to wear something that's work clothes and then you have the transition between work and non-work, then at least you've got something that kind of puts that in. But to go back to your original question, I just think it gave us depth that we didn't have previously, um, which has allowed us to kind of put our stamp in the industry and kind of be noticed on timelines and people start to notice who we are without it having to be super bold and super in your face because it's just not what we are. Yeah. And I'm obviously I'm biased because I had the opportunity to work with you and work on it, but I love it and I think what I think really works as well is the fact that when you look at the you know the logo mark the symbol um it really reiterates the name um and I think in a way you kind of you made my job easier in that you totally understand your brand and who it's for and as you said all the things that you didn't want to be you know you were really clear on that and so having all that information just made my life so much easier but what I find is is people think they don't know that stuff and then someone comes along and asks them the right questions and it all just comes flooding out um I agree like we obviously I know uh who we I want us to be and I'm the closest to it, but I needed you to try and put that into a design where, like we talked about earlier, you're very creative, I'm very numbers-driven. Yeah. I don't think of things in how a colour can make a difference to how somebody views us or a mood it sets, and it can be a slight iteration in a shade from the green that we've had to a, a harsher green, and it could have changed the whole dynamics of the brand. So you knew how to get extract the information out of my head but then also how to make it work yes yeah. I think if I, I'd been left to it it would have <laughs> <laughs> it happens all the time that's what I'm here for and and it's all the time I think you said this you were like I don't know how I don't know how you're gonna take all this information and make it like I think you thought it was just ramblings when you know it's it's not and 
I think this is why it's important to to be very aware of what what you're good at and what you're not so good at. I am very aware that I'm not good with numbers. Um, it's just not my strong point, but that's okay because then there's other people in this world like yourself that are great with numbers and data, and so those are the people that you should turn to if you need assistance with that. Um, and I think it's like with everything, like you get to a point where okay yeah you, you can DIY and you can do stuff yourself for so long but at some point you've got to go right if I really want this to be the best it can be I need to find someone else to help me and that goes with everything that's why I've got an accountant that's why I've got a business coach that's why I've got a body and conditioning coach like all these areas that I want to get better in I have someone else that's better than me that shows me how how to do it well and get the best results absolutely I think it's the age-old saying isn't it like if you're the smartest person in the room get out of the room like I always need to be around people which is why I wanted to grow the team because I wanted to be around super intelligent people who I mean some of my team do things I wouldn't even dream of learning right now like I trust that they will implicitly tell me the right thing and I can go back to the client and if the client asks me the nitty gritty, I can talk about it calmly, but they are better at what they do than me. And that's what I wanted. Like, I don't want to ever feel like I'm the smartest person in the room because I'm definitely not. And I think being able to be very self-aware, I think is the the best thing about being an owner that I've developed over the last couple of years, being very self-aware of what I'm good at and what makes the business succeed and actually where I need help. And it potentially I could have tried to ramble through the brand on my own or gone for someone else who like might have like helped me along, but predominantly let me lead it. But I knew that I needed someone that was better than me to do it. So there you go. Handed it straight over. <laughs> my my child. Over yes, to I know. And yeah, and it's it's been awesome. And I loved, I absolutely loved it. And the results speak for themselves. And one of the things you talked about is the fact that you've really become more self-aware over the last two years. Obviously, you've been you've been running your own business as you know a freelancer and now as an employer um, for the past you know transition from what was it 2019, so four years, eighteen rather. Um, what is the difference? now from then you know what's what else what what's been the biggest change you've seen in yourself from when you started up to today I think I'm less of a pushover in the nicest way possible um I think when you start out sometimes it can be very easy or you can turn to just saying yes to everything I'm gonna do every project because what if I don't get any more work in or what if I don't get the money coming in? And actually that can become more damaging because if you end up working with a toxic client or you're unhappy every day or the work is not fulfilling you, then it becomes a real problem. Like we spend a lot of our time at work, like most of the time. And I think I realized very quickly that it's okay to say no to business and you have to be confident in yourself that you will find better business that's better and right for your team. Um, again, having a team has actually helped with that process because I don't want to put them with a client that's horrible and I don't want them to work with businesses that are horrible. So 
I think I've definitely gone from saying yes to everything at the start and kind of doing all the things all the time and being severely overwhelmed. So actually it's okay to say no. It's okay to set boundaries where if someone's come for a proposal and they've not got back, then sorry, we're, we're full now. We don't have the space. And and being confident enough to say that and being confident enough to stick up for us if we need to, but also kind of let things lie if, if needed as well. So I think I've grown communication-wise and resilience-wise um, definitely over the last four years. That's amazing. And I think you said something really important there in that, you don't say you don't say yes all the time. I think there's real power in saying no. And one thing I've realised is that when you're, I used to think that by saying yes, I was bringing in. It's another opportunity, right? It's another chance to to work with someone to create something. And there's times in the past where I've said yes to things, knowing deep down that it wasn't quite right. But it was that fear of loss that made me say yes. But what I realise now is that a yes to something is a no to something else. Yeah, absolutely. If you say yes to an opportunity, it doesn't. I've learned very quickly red flags of clients, and I start to like realise. I'm thinking, oh well, if your communication isn't great at the start, it's not going to be great when we're actually working together. And there's problems here and. Yeah, I think you obviously close a door on something that doesn't feel right, but you open a door for another opportunity. And um, I've constantly had to have a bit of a check with, is this something we can also fulfill? So not even just is someone aligned with who we are as a business, but also is it potentially a piece of work that isn't in our specialism? And that's absolutely fine, which is why we've stopped saying that we do all types of social media, because there are some amazing e-commerce led social media agencies who will do it a lot better than we can. And there is power in that as well. So there's been a couple of times where I've had messages from people and I've said, I'm really sorry, this isn't our specialism whatsoever, which is why I've started changing our positioning round and how we speak and what the kind of thing we talk about, because I think I do, I am a believer that you attract in what you put out. And if I start putting things out about, e-commerce and google shopping isn't something we fulfilled so it's misleading um so i definitely think it's it's owning your specialisms and also owning the levels of communication and what you are willing to put up with and what you're not yeah and there's there's all sorts of information out there especially on social media you know it can be really overwhelming and there's loads of advice and there's loads of people saying that they can do pretty much everything. Um, there's loads of gurus. I say, I say gurus. I don't even know if that's the right word. Experts, whatever, people um, saying that, you know, you should be on every social media channel. You should be omnipresent. I've heard that saying a lot, omnipresence. Um, so... What's your, let's bust some myths around that, you know, what's your, what's your take on that? Do I, because I downloaded TikTok, I did, <laughs> and everyone's been, da- everyone's dancing, and people are dancing on LinkedIn now as well, which I think is okay, I guess. Um, 
and yeah, I shared a few videos, not of me dancing, of <laughs> me talking about grand. Um, yeah. But it just, again, even TikTok, it just felt overwhelming and, and I've not bothered with it because I don't feel like, I don't think my customer's there. But what, what do you think, Anne? Um, I always say it's about consistency. So, and when I talk to clients about platforms, there's a couple of things that you need to know where your audience is. So gravitating towards a platform because you'd like it or because it's popular is not enough reason to be on it. So social media takes a lot of work. It's a whole new strategy. It's planning, it's content, it's time. So particularly if you're a business owner that is one, one of one or you've got a very small team, trying to then add another thing into the mix is going to be problematic to you if you can't keep it up. So see it a lot. People go... Um, they do a, what we like to call like content dumping. So they'll go like two weeks and they'll full pelt every day, one after the other, great videos, great content. And they'll go dead silent for three weeks. And then someone internally will go, we haven't posted on social media and then go, oh my God. And then there'll be like four in one day and it'll be really fun. <laughs> so I think the anomaly channel presence is fine if there's a need for it and your target audience is on every channel. So like I've mentioned before, food and drinks brands, like there's probably a need to be on most channels, but also brands of those sizes have multiple people managing social media. There's a reason that Gymshark and Loungewear have massive social media teams because they need it. There's a, they're putting out a lot of content. So I think it's how being honest with yourself about how much you can commit to social media. And I always say do it well or not at all. So commit to what you want to be where your audience is which is hard because I think sometimes going well people go I don't know where my audience is but if you sat there and thought about what we've just spoken about who you want to attract in where do those people probably hang out and also thinking about where what they're doing when they get there so yes your some of your clients could be on TikTok they're probably not going to be wanted to be sold to on TikTok they're probably wanting to look at like dog videos or like yeah <laughs> That kind of stuff. They're, they're there to relax. I say that a lot about Facebook. Most people are on Facebook to relax. They're doing it out of work. So they don't necessarily want to be sold to in that regard, unless it's something like remarketing or they've been on, like they've been looking for shopping or something similar to that. Then they're more likely to take that in. But I think social media gets so complicated by adding all these new things in and then there is someone that whistles through and says do we need to be on there because so-and-so is also on tiktok or so-and-so is also on instagram and then it's like yeah well they can be if they've got the time to be so i think it's if you're a business owner or you're looking into social media more seriously how much realistically time can you commit obviously there are agencies like ours that can take it on but we are very big believers in a platform specific strategy so that doesn't mean it being on every channel and posting the same thing on every channel word for word. And I see that a lot as well. So we've decided to get every social media channel, but it's just repetition after repetition, same content, same copy, same everything. So we do a lot of platform specific strategy, which takes more time and therefore costs more money. So it's not necessarily something that's going to be quick, simple, free. It takes time. And I think if you can commit time or budget, to it social media can be one of the best tools that anyone can ever use for marketing but it isn't something that you do because it's popular or because your competitors are doing it 
Um, because to be honest, there's nothing worse than being present and being really badly present. It can yeah. actually be a lot more damaging. Or channels that go completely dormant for six months because they've sacked their social media exec and no one else has taken it on yet. <laughs> Which we is quite scary how many times we see that a lot as well. Wow. Digital dirt, digital dirt. Who? No, I'm joking. No, no. <laughs> I'm joking. All I will say is, is if someone's put time and effort into social and you immediately stop, it is very much like sending someone to a website that's down. Like there needs to be a presence there because rightly or wrongly, people will presume that something's happened. Has that business gone bust? Has something happened? Like it was a controversy. Like why have they gone suddenly gone from being super active to now being super quiet? There must be a problem. So it actually can be quite reputation damaging to suddenly go quiet as well. Um, I know I understand that sometimes people panic and then they go very quiet, but I always think you can you can't keep relaunching. Yeah. Like, I think you've got one shot at relaunch and then you have to be consistent. That's it. We yeah. can't relaunch again after a bit of a hiatus. <laughs> you make a very good point. Yeah. It's it, it is I hadn't thought about that. The comparison that you just made with a website being down. You know, you would immediately you'd be like, Oh, okay. They've not been they've not been bothered to update their website. I've come here for information and I've been now I'm disappointed. It's the same kind of feeling, isn't it? Okay, so what top tip would you give to someone that wants to start thinking about improving their brand presence on social media? Um, I'd say a process that we go through a lot with clients is taking your brand guidelines, creating a social media guideline, um, which I think is a good starting block. So um, as I mentioned before, sometimes there's multiple people within a business that manage social or someone goes on leave or you hire an agency, whoever that is. Your brand on social media should speak like one unified voice. And often you see that that it's, there's a disconnect, people speak in different ways. Um, there's multitude of different types of colors on posts and there's a bit of inconsistency there. And if you worked hard to say if someone's worked with someone like you on their brand and they've got really like solid consistency, that needs to be displayed through social as well. So my tip with that would be to look at guidelines that you agree on as a business that incorporate color, tone of voice is a big one, how you respond. So create an FAQ document and it becomes your social media Bible. So then no matter who's looking after your social media, whether it be internally or externally, anyone that's following that channel believes they're talking to one voice because I can't stress how important that is. Um, it can be very jarring for an audience if they've received different like feelings on a brand and it starts speaking in a different way um so as an example like brands like nando's and aldi they've got a very cheeky social media presence yeah, big if, they, if they start to speaking in corporate language if they start to drop the um apostrophes at the end where they're using replaced of the g's they use that quite a lot mm. if they start doing that and they start speaking very formally and very like corporate people would be jarred, they'd be confused, there'd probably be a lot of comments, there'd probably be a lot of hustle and bustle about it. So I think it always should be consistent and it should be very strongly towards your brand values. So as long as you bring your brand into social, 
I think that's the best place to start. Awesome advice. Really good advice. And I agree. <laughs> of course I do. Um, so, obviously this podcast is called Build Better Brands. And I feel like it's appropriate to ask my um my guests what building a better brand means means to them so what does it mean to you Em? I'd say building something that encompasses your values to me um so building something that's more than a logo and a name because I think there's there's some confusion around that. Like a brand is not is more than just a logo and a name. And I'm sure you probably get that all the time. Of like you just have a logo and then you have a name and that's it. You move forwards. And yeah. I think it's it's building something that, as I mentioned earlier, has depth to it, and it goes beyond just how you look on the surface. Um, because it's important. And like it, everything that I've said today, it encompasses who you are, no matter where you are or who's in charge of it. I think if you've got a strong foundations of a brand you can market well and from my perspective I need that I need a business that's got its brand together <laughs> it really helps yeah I mean you you've basically just done my job for me so thank you of course I agree and though it is you know I know obviously we're biased but it's because we understand we live it we breathe it and we see the results and I think often when people, it's so common for people that have started a business to go and get a logo and a name and a website, like I get it. But at some point, if you're serious about what you're doing, you've got to be prepared to to take it to the next level. If you if you're taking, if you want to be taken seriously, you've got to start looking more professional. Um, and it's an investment, but it's long term, you know, like with social media, like you said, it's not you know it's a long you have to have a strategy for the long term and branding is exactly the same it's not gonna happen overnight you have to be patient but if you are like we talked about at the start you are then future proofing your brand in your business so that it continues to do well in four five ten years time yeah couldn't agree more so um are you reading anything at the moment um, I am, I am actually reading a book that I've read already. Okay. Um, so that's on my shelf here. It must be pretty good if you're reading it twice. Yeah, well, it's, it reminds me sometimes of a topic that I'm super passionate about, which is account-based marketing. And sometimes I, yeah, like everybody does, they feel frustrated in, in their work. Maybe it's not going necessarily how it want. And this book is... It's called ABM is B2B and it's very anecdotal. So sometimes when I'm having like a, a tough day when sales and marketing collide, mm-hmm. it's a moment where I kind of have a breather and I read a couple of chapters of that and I'm like, yeah, you're on the right path. You do know what you're talking about. Um, so I've actually just written a blog on account-based marketing on our website. Um, so it kind of goes more into detail on that. Um, and it's something that I spoke about at a talk recently. But yeah, that's that's my kind of go-to and then I've also got a copywriting, big copywriting book that's in my toilet, um, which is great. And it's got a lot of pictures on it, not a lot of words. But sometimes when I'm having a bit of a 
like mental block and I don't really know what to think or write there's a couple of like good inspirations in there it's it stems from um a lot of like billboard advertising and stuff that's been like done over the years so I like uh, cool definitely not reading as much as I should do not have jigsaws lately ah uh, jigsaw I like a jigsaw I've not touched mine for a while though but I will go back to it it's currently under the sofa um so you say your blog is on your website so while while we're here then tell us where what your website is and where people can find you and follow you Yes, so um, obviously you can find me on LinkedIn um, at forward slash Emma K Glover. You can find our website at victorusdigital.co.uk um, and then we're also on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, Victorus Digital. Victorus Digital, awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, no it's been lovely talking to you and yeah, lots of... Lots of great insights. I'm sure we've given the listeners lots of value today. Um, so, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Build Better Brands. I am so grateful to have you tuning into the show and I'd love to thank you personally. So, wherever you are in the world, remember to tag at Danielle Clark Creative in your social media posts and stories let us know when you're listening you want to know what you've enjoyed about the show and give you a show tone and if you would like to help more people like you discover the show please subscribe and leave us a review on itunes it's going to help us rank higher and reach more listeners it's also a great way for us to help you with the problems your brand might be facing suggest a topic in your review and we might feature it and you in one of our episodes. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.